When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Literary Life. I'm Mitchell Kaplan. I've owned books and books and been a bookseller for over 35 years. What you're about to hear are conversations about all things literary with writers, readers, publishers, old friends, new friends, and anyone who might wander into our store with an interesting story to tell about their connection to books, reading, or writing. These will be informal, over-the-backyard-fence kind of conversations, the kind I and booksellers everywhere have each and every day. The third season of Poetry in America has just released with eight new episodes, once again highlighting the diversity of American poetry. I'm joined on this episode of The Literary Life by the series creator, Alyssa New, and Richard Blanco, inaugural poet who is featured in this season's second episode. I want to welcome you both to The Literary Life. Thank you so much, Mitchell. Thanks, Thrilled to be Mitch. here. Thanks, Mitch. Great to be here, yes. <laughs> well, it's always good to see you, Richard, and it's wonderful to meet you, Alyssa, as well. So, you know, I discovered Poetry in America by chance, you know, the very first season it was on. And as someone who loves poetry, I was just so taken and moved by what you were trying to do. Would you tell us a little bit about about what Poetry in America is and about what you were trying to do with it? Sure. Um, well, Poetry in America is a, a half an hour television uh, series. And I begin with half an hour because it turns out that the half an hour that we use for news programs and situation comedies, really perfect. <laughs> it's a perfect amount of time to, to, I think, give inexperienced readers of poetry that intense, immersive experience that a poem, a poem can offer them. And of course, we, we layer on um, music and historical context as necessary, and I hope beautiful imagery in order to um, give um, each of the poems we uh, we treat, uh, you know, a, a, a very vibrant um, kind of presentation. And um, we, we try to include poems from every historical period, uh, poems that are performed on stage, as well as, you know, the, sometimes poems we might think of as music, as popular music. Uh, we try to uh, do an episode every season that um, connects poetry and science. But a major focus of the series is to really explore all of the American communities that, um, you know, that, that uh, we are. And uh, the episode with Richard is, um, you know, a, a wonderful example of the opportunity we had through Richard's poem to really get into 
the cultural life of Cuban-American families. Richard, the poem that they, they feature is looking for the Gulf Motel. So what was it like for you to have this poem um, featured in the way that it was? And did you have any apprehension about doing it? Um, absolutely no apprehension. <laughs> I'm, uh, I love uh, Elise's work because um, I'm a big sort of fan or, or champion of the public humanities. And I feel that, that the show Poetry in America sort of taking poetry out there and letting people have access to it in ways that um, they might not otherwise. I, I, often people say, you know, oh, I don't get poetry. And I ask them, well, what was the last time you read a poem? And they're like, oh, I haven't read a poem in 20 years. I'm like, well, it's not that you don't get poetry. It's just you haven't give, given it a chance probably since high school. So so, so that's that's one thing. Um, but, um, you know, this this poem, um, I just knew Lisa, Lisa was going to do a great job with it, and it's so visual, and it's so um, it has so many, so much, so many senses, like ninety eight percent sensory detail. So I, I, I just figured out there they're going to do something beautiful with it. Um, the process of uh, working through that, um, thinking about what we're going to show. Um, in the midst of that, I gave Poetry in America a bunch of eight millimeter films that my mother had, and they were so gracious and. Uh, they restored some of them, had them digitally remastered, and so now I have my my a, a gift from them, another gift from them too. <laughs> so that's preserved now in our family. We had to buff them up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were beautiful. They were they. It oh. just it just rounded out the entire experience from the poem. And the other thing that I really loved about it, and what I love about the show, Alyssa, is what you do is you show how just normal everyday people encounter poetry and what it means to them, young and old. I was particularly struck with the younger people who were experiencing it. And, and Richard, you can talk about your poem a little bit, but your poem does in fact, it's kind of a nostalgic look at a time in your life when you uh, were with your family and experiencing Kind of a vacation, you might say, uh, but a uniquely Cuban vacation. I had moved back to Miami and wanted uh, where, where I grew up, obviously, and um, wanted it was taking those proverbial trips down memory lane. And one of these places is Marco Island, where we used to go um, back in the day when it was not overrun and overdeveloped as it is now. And um, but of course, I, I was expecting to just plug right back into where I left off 20 years earlier. <laughs> and uh, much to my surprise, um, that was not the case. So I felt uh, um, at first very angry and hurt. Uh, like how, how dare they do this to, to my life, my memories. And in the process of working out through the poem, um, I realized it was more of a deeper sense of loss and, and, and or rather, but also gaining because it's, you know, it's like, like the old adage says, you don't know what you have until you lose it. So not having this place or not having this Gulf motel where we used to stay at suddenly made me realize how much, what a beautiful and rich experience my life had been with my parents, even though at the time they were, we were embarrassed of that, you know, we didn't, you know, you're a kid, right? So um, th that's what the poem sort of taught me. And, um, and it's interesting, I think also because, um, my partner Mark had said, um, you sound just like your mother when I was complaining about, and I thought, what does he mean by that? 
and I realized that this is the way in many ways that my parents would talk about Cuba and their loss, right? Like how dare they, or like they changed this or they changed the street names. And, uh, and I realized that Marco Island was my own Cuba. And, and even though it's about a Cuban family, I really realized at that moment that loss and loss and memory and nostalgia are really universal things that we all feel in one way or another. And, um, and so it's really, it was in my, you know, my own context, in my own life, um, it was my first sort of deep sense of, of a loss of a place. But all of us have experienced people who talk about, you know, that the winds were cooler in Havana, you know, <laughs> the seas were calmer in Havana, and, you know, the coffee was sweeter and all of that. And I think that that kind of nostalgia you brought out so beautifully in your poem and it resonated so deeply in what Alyssa did by bringing in other voices. Talk a little bit about some of the people you brought in to talk about that kind of nostalgia. Poetry and memory <laughs> are cousins. And one thing that a poem does is, is allow in language experience that's lost to be realized and overrealized often, right? Everything, what nostalgia does is it turns everything into a, an illustrated children's book. And that's what we did as well, as well as using these nostalgic home movies um, that Richard's family had, uh, had, had kept. We also used um, illustration um, in a way to dramatize how memory beautifies and creates narratives in places where that's all been broken up. Um, but of course, uh, I was immensely fortunate that Richard is friends with Gloria Estefan. <laughs> and um, I did not know Gloria Estefan before this episode. And she loves Richard, loves the poem, and spoke with me for an hour. And not only spoke with me, but burst into song, which is what one, you know, I coaxed her a little bit. <laughs> and I said, well, what did that sound like? But, um, but she sang uh, throughout our interview and was extremely generous in helping us, of course, to get rights to, to some of what she sang. Um, we also um, filmed a um, restaurateur and a uh, Grammy-winning uh, singer who had grown up in Miami, uh, child of, um, of Cuban parents. Uh, we interviewed his girlfriend, <laughs> who is a beautiful actress uh, who had just come. And it turned out, this is a little behind the scenes gossip, as we were filming, the videographer who'd been filming kept saying, my parents were just like that, we brought all of our food. This is literally the person we had hired. And at the after we'd listened to him a few times, we said, would you like to just come on the other side? <laughs> and so one of the people was, and this is not the first time this has happened in this show, um, where someone uh, accidentally, and I, I will, you know, maybe you'll use this and maybe you won't, but when we were filming our season one episode on the hip hop singer Nas, um, I was taking a cab to a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn uh, from, from uh, Manhattan. And my cab driver said, what are you 
you know, what are you doing in Bushwick? And I said, oh, I'm filming for television show on Nas. And she said, Nas, I love Nas. And she starts rapping. And she goes, and I'm a hypocrite, you know? I go, really? And she's talking and talking and talking. And I said, well, you want to be in the show? <laughs> she said, well, I don't have any makeup on. I said, well, you have to go home, get some makeup on, and then come back. And she's extraordinary. Um, and, so, and I think the reason that works is because poems tell us how to read them. You don't have to be an expert to read a poem. You do have to kind of sit down and pay attention a little bit, but as soon as uh, you, you actually have the language of a poem in front of you, it's going to start giving you directions. It's going to start telling you, you know, it's going to start having flavors or conjuring images. And if all someone like me does is say, name them, then, you know, what, what, what do you hear there? What did you smell there? Then a, a, a kind of, sophisticated literary interpreter begins to develop before our eyes. And that for me is one of the magical parts of the show that the vast majority of people we bring onto it are not experts in poetry, um, but they develop a perspectives in the course of a 40 minute interview and begin to see patterns that they follow up on. And, um, and by the end, they're just sort of, they've made themselves not, not experts, but um, what's the word? Residents of the land of poetry. The show has a bigger profile as well, because you also use it as an educational tool, right? It's yes. part of a larger product project. And I think that what you've done, and tell me if, tell me what you think about this, is that we haven't really done a very good job in this country of the way we teach the appreciation of poetry. And I think what you're trying to do is change that a little bit. Am I right? I am certainly, I am certainly trying to change that. It isn't very radical, really, what I do. The conversations we have on this show are the kind of conversation, if you're lucky enough to be in a great high school classroom, a great one, or a great college seminar, you, you, might, you might be having. Um, but those experiences are probably thin on the ground for, um, for many people. And so I am trying both in the way we make the show and in the way I draw on it uh, to create educational content that then uh, becomes part of both non-credit and for-credit experiences that are now being offered at scale through Arizona State University, because I got a little too big for Harvard. Uh, the, I, I needed a sort of a, an engine that was really ready to educate the many. But, uh, and it has been immensely gratifying uh, to see how drawing on the tools that we, ha we now have, uh, the media tools we now have as educators, we can offer learners um, something much more potent and exciting and engaging than certainly I was able to offer, you know, as hard as I tried standing behind a podium in front of a blackboard facing a row of chairs or and even filming that experience, no matter how much I wave my arms, is different from being able to show a viewer what 
Miami, what what a guy who's squeezing orange juice by the side of the road <laughs> looks like. And um, and it's it wasn't long ago that before video that it was too it was too expensive to even imagine education using tools of video and uh, and audio. But but now we can. What did you learn about Miami? I lived in Miami for a few years and my first child was born in Miami and I went to books and books a lot when I was in Miami. Oh, really? And so I and my first husband was born and raised in Miami Beach. So I have my own little Gulf Motel story. <laughs> uh, I'm happy to say that Books and Books in Coral Gables, I believe, is still on the same corner. And so I, ho I hope you haven't moved because I'll feel violated by that. But well, it makes you almost a native then. If all so of this. <laughs> I, I was there when when you have your first child in a place, it does um, make it part of you. And so I but what and I I filmed in Miami Beach where my husband had been from, which had, was completely different than when I first started going there in the 70s. Um, but what did I learn about Miami? I this is this changes the subject a little bit. I, I felt more and more how Miami Jews and Miami Cubans are the same people. And there, there is a, a, a kind of gusto and robust enjoyment of the physical world and of including of the world of, of Miami that, um, you know, that, that feels to me has had a shaping effect on, on the, on the city. And I, I know that any um, people have recently, friends of mine have started watching and all the Jewish ones say that was exactly like my family. <laughs> you know, my mother embarrassed me by bringing too much food. Not everyone, not everyone's family is like that. And one of the reasons that, that Richard's poem was so ideal for this show is that it, it's both universal in the best way and particular in the best way. It's, the, it's particular in that it teaches us the ways of another culture and allows us, like I love when Gloria Estefans talks about the glamor of Cuban women who would never go out with rollers in their hair, who wore heels when they were vacuuming, right? That's a specific, you know, cultural folk waves of a kind that you, you, you have to learn about from someone who knows. And at the same time, everybody does, is embarrassed by their parents. Everyone does remember their family vacations in a potent way. And so to, to, to work with Richard with a poem that is accessible to everyone and yet also allows us to learn something about people from a culture that's that where it's different from ours. Um, to learn about Cuba, not everybody in Miami might know that the coffee was sweeter, but people who watch this show in other parts of the country really don't know that. Richard, would you read, <laughs> would you read Looking for the Gulf Motel for us? Sure, sure. Um, I just wanted to add the, back to the idea of what the series is doing so wonderfully in a way it's making poetry come alive. And I think that poetry and then the teaching of poetry 
should be taught as an experience and much more like song. You know, we don't always understand what a song means, but we feel it. And and like Lisa's saying, if you just if you just enter the poem, just sit with it and and uh it's you know poetry's dna is in music right in oral tradition and um and it's and it comes out of me in the way that and inspires and and, and is uh sort of um breathes in me like music um and i and i almost feel like we should teach poetry with music and drama as well because they're so related so anyway <laughs> i just so need to say you know before you read you know richard you know i've seen you read in so many different forums and so many different places and um there's no one better to capture what you just said during a poetry reading than richard blanco so you know you you've got that nailed uh, you know in terms of the way you engage an audience and what you use to engage that audience so uh and i think that's what Alyssa does i mean right. when i watched her do that you know when i watched that episode it, you know, there was no dissonance with your poem and what Alyssa was doing in her episode. Yeah, they're both oh. uh, making poetry come to life and, and going to a poetry reading now becomes a deeper experience, right? I always say it's like going to the concert, right? You can listen to the music at home, but you go to the concert and it's a whole, and I, and I think of my readings as concerts, actually. So, well, I gave you the backstory to the poem, so um, here we go. Looking for the Gulf Motel, Marco Island, Florida. There should be nothing here I don't remember. The Gulf Motel with mermaid lampposts and ship's wheel in the lobby should still be rising out of the sand like a cake decoration. My brother and I should still be pretending we don't know our parents, embarrassing us as they roll the luggage cart past the front desk, loaded with our scruffy suitcases, two dozen loaves of Cuban bread, brown bags bulging with enough mangoes to last the entire week, our espresso pot, the pressure cooker, and a pork roast reeking garlic through the lobby. All because we can afford to eat out, not even on vacation. Only two hours from our home in Miami, but far enough away to be thrilled by the wider sands on the west coast of Florida, where I should still be for the first time watching the sun set instead of rise over the ocean. There should be nothing here I don't remember. My mother should still be in the kitchenette of the Gulf Motel, her daisy sandals from Kmart squeaking across the linoleum, still gorgeous in her teal swimsuit and amber earrings, stirring a pot of arroz con pollo, adding sprinkles of onion powder and dollops of tomato sauce. My father should still be in a terrycloth jacket, smoking, clinking a glass of amber whiskey in the sunset at the Gulf Motel, watching us dive into the pool, Two boys he'll never see grow into men who will be proud of him. There should be nothing here I don't remember. My brother and I should still be playing Parcheesi. My father should still be alive, slow dancing with my mother on the sliding glass balcony of the Gulf Motel. No music. Only the waves keeping time. A song only their minds hear 10,000 nights back to their life in Cuba. My mother's face should still be resting against his bare chest like the moon resting on the sea. And the stars 
should still be turning around them. There should be nothing here I don't remember. My brother should still be 13, sneaking rum in the bathroom and sculpting naked women from sand. And I, I should still be eight years old, dazzled by seashells and how many seconds I can hold my breath underwater. But I'm not. I'm 38, driving up Collier Boulevard, looking for the golf motel, for everything that should still be, but isn't. I want to blame the condos, their shadows for ruining the beach and my past. I want to chase the snowbirds away with their tacky McMansions and yachts. I want to turn the golf courses back into mangroves. I want to find the golf motel exactly as it was and pretend for a moment nothing lost is lost. Nothing lost is lost. Um, yes, there's something I, there. <laughs> yeah, I wish that we could all pretend that that was that was the case. I think part of also the universality for me of this poem uh, is is that what I learned through it too that it was more than nostalgia, right? It was this idea of loss, and also that while while recognizing that the motel is not there, also recognizing that your memories are not lost. And so you, the poem is also is about loss, but it's also about receiving because if I hadn't gone to Marco Island, I would have never treasured those memories as much. And so in a way, and also mortality, right? So it's like this idea that, that things change without your permission, right? That you don't have that agency, but you will always have those experiences. And, and that it, in a way the poem is making peace with the loss of the place by sort of um, being, in, um, being fulfilled by the treasure of those and treasuring those memories. And I think we all go through that, no matter, you know, what culture, uh, what, uh, you know, where we're from, uh, what city you're talking about, oh, we're in a constant stage of, of, of change. And, we, and, and, it's, and it's something we confront, it's part of our human condition. One of the things that's so beautiful about the poem is that it's also a story of a young person coming to consciousness. You know, there's, you know, to see the Gulf Motel like a sugar, you know, a birthday cake. I did commission a birthday cake. We, we, I wanted to film a very beautiful cake and had one made uh, to, to do that. But you know, the, the awareness of, of love and the erotic and romance that you start to see this young boy have in a very innocent way in the middle of the poem as his brother's also sculpting naked women <laughs> from sand. And, you know, there's, and he's, has an, by the end of the poem, we realize that there's, there's, a, a, there's been a loss with the father that, you know, is still being processed. Um, and that's, there's a maturational arc, you know, a whole developmental set of stages that this poem allows us to think, to think through. And that's a lot to do in a poem that's also so beautiful and has so much great food in it. And it's really wonderful. Yeah. And in a sense that the adult Richard, um, is recognizing those, that, memory now as not maybe what he under, he did understand consciously then so he's like sort of revisiting his young self and thinking about 
these incredible moments and i was like oh my god that's when like so yeah it's like my own consciousness as a child is triggering my own consciousness as an adult by looking at my childhood in a way that i never because you know probably at the time um you know I, w I probably wasn't crazy about seeing my parents smooching you know, <laughs> and dancing. And of course, even the embarrassment is kind of, a, it's kind of also a threshold moment, right? You're dif differentiating yourself and, and trying to think about, no, we're not our parents, you know, we're, we're like, we're becoming individuals, right? Um, so there, yeah, thanks for that, Lisa. It's, I don't know how I did it, to be honest. What a model they were for you too. I mean, they, it is also a beautiful portrait of a marriage yeah and of a and of a relationship i there was one boy whom i interviewed for the episode who was daring enough to say you know he can see that being an adult is really different <laughs> <laughs> and he sort of he, and he for me is a little kind of a proxy for you he's like i don't know about watching these people dance but there's something on the other side of that door that I'm not yet ready for. Yeah. It's weird because all our lives are imprinting. Right. And then it, it imprinted probably my subconscious as this beautiful moment, except I wouldn't acknowledge it as a child, but now as an adult, I can go back and do that. Yeah. That's my favorite part in the poem too. That, that dancing. Well, and the other really beautiful thing about it is through the act of remembering nothing is really lost. Right. right. So, your parents are back, the Gulf Motel is back, and you brought it back for all of us. I mean, any of us who ever experienced anything like that. I also grew up on Miami Beach, and I remember my parents taking me to Marathon or, or the Keys, and, you know, and, and just listening to your poem brought back those memories, so it made my parents once again alive to me. Yeah. And I think that is the beauty of the way we communicate with one another and what poetry can do. Yeah, I always say uh, when I read this poem, I just I always say I invite you to think about your own, quote, golf motel experience or place that is always sort of a North Star in our life. When You know, this is something that just is like these moments because uh, everybody has a golf motel. Um, and in that way, also, I think, getting back to the parallels with music how or i always say the poem is a mirror and at the end of the day it's a mirror reflecting on you and your life and you see yourself in it um or at least that's the space that's what i like a poem to do at its best um but like music um you know we have these you know we're moved by music that has narratives and stories by other people that aren't ours but somehow we're like what like and you're feeling it as if because it's obviously connecting your your own memory experience to the to, to theirs and i think that's what art poetry um if it can do that i've i feel a poem has been a success when someone tells me what yeah. you just said mitchell that to me then that's a poem and and Alyssa, i i just think it's kind of remarkable that you're creating this this archive of uh the way people today interact with poetry and and showing showing all of us the possibilities of what poetry can be, because as you know, right now, as we speak, the arts, uh, books, poetry, music, so many things are under attack right now. And I think what your series does is it shows how essential all of it really is. Thank you. Well, and how it could give us joy, you know, how, um, how we, 
and I guess that's what you what you mean by essential. But I think the that that experience that we can have an encounter with a poem and go away feeling better, <laughs> feeling well, that, more thoughtful, it, and it's humanizing. It's me me having a window into Richard's experience, which is fundamentally different from any experience that I had, because you know because we come from different you know, different backgrounds. And it's a way that I can come to appreciate his background. If we isolate stories from one another, we're all in trouble. <laughs> Instead, we need to be able to expose everybody to even more stories, whether it's yeah. through poetry, through fiction. And this whole idea of banning books and banning what's being taught is just so troubling to me right now as well. Why don't you tell us how we can see this episode and the entire series? There are many ways. Uh, we, we live in a very complex era for TV watching. Um, we, uh, we stream the episode on our, on our Poetry in America website, poetryinamerica.org, if one can't find it on one's dial. It airs uh, nationally on PBS. Uh, but you have to check your local listings <laughs> and those local listings um, can change. It's airing nationally on the World Channel right now. And as the spring uh, goes on, uh, channels are bringing the series in uh, into their lineup. Well, I, I want to thank you, Richard, and you, Alyssa, for being uh, on The Literary Life. And I want people listening to know that uh, the episode featuring Richard and his poem uh, will be featured in the link for the podcast. And on March 11th, we have a very, very special event for those of you living in Miami at Books and Books, where we'll be featuring Richard and we'll be featuring this episode. So, you know, go to booksandbooks.com and sign up so you get all of our emails to find out where, when, and how you can participate. Thank you again, guys. Thank you, Thank Michelle, you so much. as always. <laughs>